Howdy. Welcome to another week of Canon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee, and this week I interviewed Ken Fredrickson, a master sommelier and author of Wine, A Beginner's Guide. You can find it at the usual places on Amazon, Audible, and Kindle. We chatted about wine, stories from his time with chefs such as Charlie Trotter and Wolfgang Puck, and he even offers a few tips about how to step up your hospitality game. Before we get started, one book from Canon that I thought paired well with our discussion was Joy at the End of the Tether, which is a commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes. From the book, the language of sentimental romanticism is not the language of the Bible. When men understand the futility of earthly existence and they understand it in the way that Solomon presents it to us, they are then equipped to enjoy their bread for perhaps the first time. They may consider the redness of the wine and laugh over it with a wise and contented joy. They may turn to love their wives not because sexual love is forever, but rather because it is not. In the world of creatures, we may only enjoy what we do not worship. But we cannot rejoice in our silly lives until we understand that it is our portion, assigned to us by an infinite wisdom. We cannot really understand that it is our portion until we have faith in the God who apportions. These things which we are to enjoy are passed to us from his hand. So here is the word of the Lord. God has approved your obedience already. With gratitude, eat your bread, drink your wine, dress in white, and make a little love to your wife. You can find Joy at the End of the Tether at canonpress.com. And so, without further ado, meet Ken Fredrickson. Okay, now welcoming on Master Sommelier, Ken Fredrickson. Thanks so much for coming on, sir. Thank you, Jake. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Ken, I mentioned you're a Master Sommelier. That's, if people don't know, a fairly elite group of people. Is there less than 300 of you? Yes. There is, uh, globally, I believe that's right around the number 300. Um, I suppose I haven't taken a, 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 a count in the last couple of years, but it's got to be right there at about 300. Um, and I think the exam started in the late 70s. So not too many pe- people pass each year. It's a it's a tough test, no doubt about it. Well, I was going to ask, I mean, I feel like you could know all of their names. I mean, how many of these people do you know? <laughs> Here in the U.S., uh, I know a good deal of the master sommeliers. I think 90% plus I know on a first name basis. There's some really good people that, you know, when you get through that final test and, re- and receive the diploma, of master sommelier there's just a, a nice camaraderie and a, you know the the a respect level um i think after you pass that that test and it's helpful it's helpful for sure in the hospitality uh business to have a network of fellow uh, master sommeliers like-minded wine professionals um it, it's nice to have that out uh, you know out there well i can imagine um so for folks who don't know ken Fredrickson. I am having you on in particular because I was reading through your book, Wine, A Beginner's Guide, 
folks may also know, I mean, you, you've worked with some incredible chefs, Charlie Strotter, Wolfgang Puck, uh, Paul Kahn wrote the foreword to your book. So uh, this is no uh, this is no slim pickings of, of folks. Uh, do you mind kind of just introducing yourself? Tell us about you and, and what you do. Yeah, thanks. I've been fortunate to have had great work slash life experiences. Um, you know, I guess sometimes better lucky than good, but uh, <laughs> I've also made a... Also made a concerted concerted effort to be around people that you know, like Charlie Trotter or Wolfgang, um, that really thrive to be the best in their in their business and lead by example. So, I've always looked for that alignment to be with someone or be part of a team that wants to be uh, the best. So that's kind of how you know I've gotten to have that experience, but. Just a little background on myself. Yes, thanks for reading the book. I appreciate it. Um, hopefully, uh, it was a late night reading and it helped you sleep. You know, <laughs> plow, plow through a few pages of this book and you'll be, you know, will be instantly tired. No, well, I'll you don't tell you, any. I was very grateful for the pictures. There are pictures. <laughs> there are. There are <laughs> illustrations. We had, uh, and the pictures are quite good. A friend of mine's winery in Italy. Um, we took all the pictures there, so... Uh, at Tenuta Setticelli in Tuscany. Oof. That's another great thing about being a sommelier. You have, uh, usually you typically have a, a very large global network as well because wines are produced all over the world. And, and at this level, it's important to know uh, the best ones. And oftentimes you're fortunate enough to cultivate relationships with some great winemakers and winery owners, et cetera, around, around the globe. But, um, you know, back to my background, I, I grew up, uh, essentially in a rural Idaho on, uh, on a ranch and was um, hoping to uh, meet people by going to University of Nevada, Las Vegas. <laughs> my, my freshman year dorm room had more people in the dorm than my entire hometown where I grew up. Now, it was pretty, where, where, pretty, where did you grow up? By the way? In, in, in Salmon, Idaho is, uh, is kind of what I call home. So um so i'm in moscow by the way oh no way okay which you know the washington post not to you know brag but called us the tuscany of america so (laughs) (laughs) it's it's nice up there yeah 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 i i've heard you mention several times rural idaho and i was always like man i wonder where it is but there we go sam and idaho well, listen, I mean, the area of Walla Walla and Washington, the wine producing country up there is incredible. Right. I'm a, a huge fan of that particular area. Um, my sister went to vet school up there. I've spent a lot of time up there. And, um, you know, I think I think the one thing I could tell you from, from being a sommelier, um, I, I found is that I was very fortunate to have the background of growing up you know, in the country, if you will. So harvesting our own cattle and growing a lot of our own vegetables and things of that nature. Um, You know, we had horses, my father's a veterinarian, uh, you know, so being around those sort of elements my entire life, I think that, and I, I cover it just briefly in the book, but it's a being, becoming good at tasting wine is about establishing um, and, and cultivating your sense of smell. It's, it's a memory. Hmm. It's organoleptic memory. It's just like, uh, the best way I, I typically describe it to people is if you've, 
smelled a person's cologne or perfume or something that you've smelled on someone before. And then you have that memory or thought. So my granddad smoked Swisher sweets and it's an old, <laughs> yeah, it's an old cigar. And, but if I smell a Swisher sweet on anywhere within two blocks, if I just caught a, a whiff of that aroma, I would, it would conjure up a memory of my granddad so strong. Um, and, and that's really what you're looking for, that ability to remember a smell and aroma to kind of tell you where you're at, maybe in the world of wine, perhaps a particular region or what a grape varietal is, is offering up in, a, you know, typically in, a, in, a, in its aromatic profile. So that was lucky for me. I, you know, I went on to University of Nevada, Las Vegas and, and was very fortunate to have a professor in school that identified me as having this sort of unique ability to smell and describe aroma. And uh, I didn't even know it. And he just, you know, after one semester of wine appreciation, he took me aside and he said, I don't know if you've ever thought about wine as a career, but, you know, you have this innate ability to recognize aromas. And then as I started to think about it, I would remember playing games with my mom, even as a child, when she would bring home a, a birthday present and, you know, my birthday's in May and she'd bring home a birthday present and I would smell the box and I would know what store she bought it in, you know, what store in town she, she you know, she picked it up because it had a particular aroma. Wow. And, and, and my mom always thought, wow, this is, you know, you're, you're crazy. You're always smelling everything. So I was very fortunate to have that um, capability and, or ability, I suppose. And, and then, you know, from there, it's just about refining it and learning. But so I went, I left, uh, I left home, went on to school at UNLV and then started working in, um, in restaurants and was fortunate enough to work with Charlie Trotter for a couple of years. And that was really formative for me as he was a, a chef, um, you know, rest in peace, an amazing chef who just was an absolute zealot in the, in the kitchen and defined uh, American cuisine, I think almost as much as any chef I know. I mean, there's, this is really at the kind of time when people on the scene coming on the scene, were trying to figure out what to do with, um, whole French cuisine, you know, high fashion French cuisine, but still put in an American, you know, have a, an American sensibility. It was no longer about cooking Dover soul. It was more about cooking, you know, in Charlie's, in, in Charlie's case, um, local fish from the Great Lakes and, and cooking it, you know, in this refined way and local produce like heirloom tomatoes from Illinois and, and things like that. And it, he was so passionate, but he always said that he was a sommelier trapped in a chef's body. <laughs> and I always, I always laughed. I heard him say it a hundred times, but really what he meant by it was, is that he was so passionate about wine and he lo loved wine so much and he really felt like it was part of the dining experience and that it made that uh, restaurant experience, his Charlie Trotter experience, that beverage really made that experience right down to the water. I mean, just, but, but really wine and, and, and the limited spirit selections that he would have at the restaurant. But this was an opportunity to, for me to, to learn about, and, and build a foundation of food around food. And that's what's gotten, that's what's gotten me the respect of great chefs. That's what had, it's 
what allows me to have the ability to go in and talk to someone like Paul Kahn and talk about a menu or talk about the dish that he's doing and then um, offer up some ideas about wine and what might work with it or even entire restaurants for that matter, you know, to follow sort of, you know, what is the vision of the cuisine and how do you, you know, wine is sort of to go along with it. How do you support that? Um, yeah, so I worked with some good chefs and then in the late 90s, I was actually a sommelier with Wolfgang Puck in Las Vegas at what I think would have been at the time in 1998, likely the the sort of hottest ticket in town. You know, that's the best Vegas way to describe it, right? Um, <laughs> that's right. Spa, Spago in the forum shops. And it was it was nuts. I was taking care of everyone from, you know, Irving Magic Johnson to to you know, all, all these famous people, Leonardo DiCaprio, and it was just normal. It was the, the restaurant was busy. It was people were spending good money on wines and so forth. As a side note, the one celebrity I, that I've taken care of that really where you could hear a pin drop in the dining room floor where the entire room turned to look and w- was just silenced. Who do you think that is, Jake? Uh, Who could 98? man that? 98. Michael Jordan. Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Unbelievable! I was, I know. I'm like, what's the deal? Wow, and this guy. No, he's an amazing. He's an amazing guy. But that he's the one that really commanded. It was just. It might have been. You know, I don't know. I can't remember what was going on with Clinton '98. But yeah, it was. It was a big deal. Anyway, so I was working at Spago, and well, what, more well, before you move on, what was his? Yeah. What, what did he like in wine? Like, how did? What did he? Oh, I don't even he, remember. He's oh. a big wine guy, though. He okay. drank wine, but I don't remember specifically. Um, but once you have the celebrity and you know the celebrities that are buying wine, typically you don't find them deeply engaged in it. They're usually drinking a label or, you know, I shouldn't stereotype them, but there's some that really appreciate it and have a liking for it. But there is this group of wine connoisseurs that have really intense collections and will ship wines ahead to a restaurant, have you prep them very specific about dinner and food uh, you know, so there were several of those. Actually, one of the guys I met there was the reason I ended up um, leaving. He was a, a guy from Greenwich, Connecticut, working with, at the time, it was called Morgan Stanley Dean Witter, I believe. And he was he was in charge of the South American business. And he would fly from New York to Las Vegas and meet the South American customers. And they would have these long lunches. And in the late 90s, they were spending you know, six to 10 people would spend 15 to $20,000 for lunch. Wow. And, yeah. They were drinking crazy <laughs> wines and um, I had a ton of fun because I was learning. Right. So yeah. you, that's why, that's what becomes exciting when you have an opportunity to taste these wines that you'd never have. That's the other thing about Charlie Trotters as well. I was tasting wines. I learned on wines that were just legendary and those opportunities are fewer and fewer these days. It becomes very difficult to taste you know, iconic, legendary, vintaged wines, um, which is helpful in the master sommelier exam. So anyway, this guy asked me one day, he said, he said, uh, you know, we're, we're planning on moving to Jackson, Wyoming. My family and I were building a house out there and we've been not that excited about the food that we have, uh, options we have. And he said, you've always said you wanted to start your own restaurant. So, um, this was after a long lunch that he, where he had spent a ton of money he's like how about i back you in your your 
your dream restaurant in Jackson, Wyoming. And I was like, okay, let's go. Let's do it. So I took a chance, Wow. moved up to Jackson. It was very, that was a very fortunate thing. I had a great time, o- opened a restaurant, opened a retail store and passed the master sommelier while living in Jackson, Wyoming in 1999. Wow. And, um, yeah. And I just studied and worked my tail off and, you know, had a couple of cool little restaurants. And Jackson was a hotbed for, wine cellars and people who love food and wine it still is it's still a very prominent small town in the west you know that was a long time ago but you know i've done several businesses since then yeah now you were describing wine and essentially you mentioned that it's an interdisciplinary art so you have chemistry (laughs) biology botany geology culture history mythology all of these things going at one time knowing these things as you you know, go after it helps and helps the experience. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I can. And, and it's fascinating. And I think what's really been good for me and has allowed me to become successful as a master sommelier or to pass the exam itself is it's been described as, you know, from a knowledge perspective, it's, it's four miles wide and an inch deep, Right versus four miles deep and an inch wide, which yeah. like if you're going to become a, a neuroscientist or if you're going to you're, you're going to have some specialization where that's all you all you do is remove gallbladders. I mean, you're you're going to be very, very good at removing gallbladders. Right. So right. the master yeah. sommelier was designed to offer this person on the floor, on the floor of a restaurant who is really a tool to promote and enhance the dining experience of a customer. So imagine we just had this conversation briefly when we first started talking and you said, yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm in Moscow, right? So I'm like, just because I know the area and the region and we can talk about that and I can make an experience. Now you could have easily said, of said, you know, I grew up in, uh, you know, the Hobart Valley in Tasmania. I could also talk to you about that, (laughs) right? So to be able to have that ability to pivot on the floor and engage a customer and really start to understand what have they drank in the past? What do they like? Where have they been? What have they traveled? How have they done? That is really the ingratiating hospitality aspect of this. And it covers everything. It really does. It covers, um, like you said, Greek mythology to actual science and biology and chemistry. There's a ton of chemistry in wine. There's, um, you know, you have to know a little bit about winemaking but again, it's it's knowing a little bit about everything seems like an absolute daunting task. I mean, I spent several months studying fungus-based vine diseases. And if you think about it, you're like, you know, <laughs> why? Why did I do that? You know, so on one hand, it's like you start to get you start to get a little bit lost in the idea that you just want that diploma, you want that pin, you want that trophy. And then what you realize when you come to the other side of it is is that, wow, it's built this great foundation. But the most important thing, Jake, that you have to understand once you get through the exam is that that's what you have. You have a foundation. And as soon as you meet someone who's a specialist or someone who's gone four miles deep and only an inch wide, like a winemaker in Bordeaux who's worked one plot of land for the last 45 years, you realize quickly that you really are only surface level knowledge. You know a little bit. And so I tell people all the time, I'm encouraged 
to meet people in my life and in my work life that know so much more about a subject than I do because it allows me to keep learning. And, you know, it's, it's fun to have a surface level knowledge and be able to talk a little bit about everything. And then you'll find the master sommeliers that go very deep in a particular area um, that really have a focus or have found a passion for German wine or right. uh, natural wine, whatever it might be. And then they go down that rabbit hole. Um, myself, personally, I've sort of fallen in love with business. I, I like business. I like I like being an entrepreneur. I like, you know, it, my own and also being on advisory boards and, and trying to make the most in the, in the business world has been very exciting for me. So a little bit less wine in my, in my adult life, late adult life, I should say. Um, but it's the reason I wrote the book. Right. And we started with that question about the book. And the, the real reason I wrote the book is because I feel hundreds of questions every year, many of them very legit questions. Some of them seem silly, people often afraid to ask. And my partner, Maria, and her friends asked me all the time, will you, will you host a wine tasting for me? Will you, you know, can we, can you answer these questions? My, my friend needs, you know, a bottle of rosé, but she doesn't like sweet wine, whatever it is, you know, all just these litany of questions. So I wrote it and it's kind of a response to that. And something that even though it says a beginner's guide, you read it, um, it it's a little deeper than probably a beginner's guide, but certainly it's not so over the top. It cuts out, you know, there's a dozen different acids in wine. You know, I cover three and those are the most important and those are what you need to know. So it kind of distills it down to what you need to know in the book instead of, you know, going and in, jumping into a giant tome that is, you know, and, and I have a hundred plus of them in the library um, that just become, you know, only what a handful of people in the world really need. So now you can just reply with the link to, to Amazon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> by, by, that's so funny. Yeah. Buy the book. That'd yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, I love it. Well, that was a great answer. And, and uh, you mentioned the merits of specialization. And I think given today's landscape, the merit, uh, no one really has to be convinced about the merits of specialization. You know, a lot of people go to school for specialization. It's really sort of, um, you know, for the fish, that's the water. Um, what I loved about what you wrote is, is really human beings as they come are not like that. We don't usually come siloed off. We come as people who are poetic and historical and all of these kinds of things. And, uh, so when you say, knowing a little bit about a lot of things is great. Well, it sounds like you could be dropped anywhere and never be lost, you know, no matter what part of the world or if somebody mentions a town or it's great to be able to have, and I'm sure it's super great when you're trying to sell folks on wine to be able to have those kind of conversations uh, because it sounds like a supremely human art. Yes. Um, I love how you've just described that. And yes, I'm nodding my head. You can't hear it, but I am. <laughs> and the the idea of being wine, absolutely blessed that wine has taken me around the world many times. So from a, a physical, actually literally taking me around the world to South Africa or wherever uh, that remote wine region that you can think of is, there's a very good chance I've been there. Uh, but it also allows you to go around the world in a glass of wine 
right? So that's the questions. People right. pick something up. They pick up that probably one of the most um, uh, normal, everyday red wine imported in the United States is Chianti. Everybody knows what a Chianti is. It started in an old uh, wicker flask, you know, 50 years ago. And today it's in its own renaissance. It has all these multiple classifications. Um, they produce really good wine, but it's Tuscany. It's under the Tuscan sun. It's this idea of being in Tuscany, this idea of, of you know, whether you're uh, in, in the rolling hills of, of Tuscany or out on the coast near, near the Mediterranean. It's just a beautiful countryside. And, and this wine offers you that ability and that, that it's a journey in a glass and it's so fun and people always want to know they pick it up and then they have this inquiring mind like you said i mean people are like well where is this from what's you know i wonder what goes on there i love this i like this i don't like this whatever whatever their impressions are so yeah pretty pretty happy to have a global view certainly didn't expect it you know growing up in rural idaho essentially um with my first trip outside of the United States happening when I was 21 years old. So, uh, and now in my adult life, it's, it's not uh, unlikely that I'll travel globally five times a year. So yeah, Yeah. a little less now and a little less now with COVID, (laughs) COVID era. But so as mentioned, I read your book and I was curious just because largely, um, I know, you know, before opening your book, I knew that swishing the wine made it look like you knew what you were up to. Um, what does it look like for me to sort of grow in this area and be interested in this? And so I picked up your book. Can you give us a brief primer without sort of uh, giving away your book? You know, talk to me like that guy who just picks up the 19 crimes bottle because you can make the guy talk on the little, <laughs> it's on the probably little label. Been it's probably been successful for them. Um, so, so when you look at when you look at what happens at the retail, um, in the retail experience, just from a fact base uh, perspective, oftentimes it's a label that gets people to pick up a bottle of wine, and that's probably not surprising. You know, a good label, a bright label, a fun label, humorous label, a serious label, a label that looks like France. I mean, I think there's a tone for French wines, certainly the words that are French and so forth. So, you know, there's those connotations that come with or stereotypes that come with when you're walking down the aisle and you're looking at something and you're and you're looking to pick it up. So oftentimes people will pick a wine um, uh, for that reason. But in my book, what I do is I break down sort of styles and, you know, lighter white wine, medium bodied white wine, full bodied white wine, same thing on the red wine side, sparkling wine, I talk a lot about sparkling wine. And then I move into, and what I would tell you is, a couple of things that I think are really important are knowing how to enjoy the wine itself. So I do a whole chapter on sort of wine at home, which couldn't have been more relevant for what it is, you know, what we're in, in the environment we're in today, right? So that right. in-home experience is paramount to learn. I, I wish I would have written a cocktail book, you know, for in-home <laughs> because it's just, that's what's happening now. But people are drinking a lot of wine in, in, in at home and, you know, knowing that you can store red wine in the refrigerator 
you know, you don't, you don't drink the whole bottle. And when it's not finished, you put the rest in the refrigerator. That surprises a lot of people. Well, it's really a good place to put your red wine because it's not going to age as fast. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy to get a can of argon gas that you can just put a little squirt in. It's the best way to preserve a wine and the wine will stay for days with a little layer of gas, argon gas in it. So there's all these tricks that I sort of cover in the book. And then I also include for your real enjoyment at home, I also include what you need in the pantry, what type of wine opener you need. And it's not expensive. Right. What a good universal set of glassware is. And I even put a, a recommendation, I think, from Libby in the book, which I've been very happy with. They're bulletproof. You know, they work really well and they're they're hardy. Now, there's obviously great glasses if you're on an unlimited budget. There's some really fun glasses that you can have or, you know, in your in your pantry. But I cover everything from having one decanter and things like that. And then the other part about the in-home experience, how are you going to get the most enjoyment out of it is, you know, what do you do with it? Once you, once you get it home, what are you going to match it with? What kind of food are you going to put it with? Is this an appetizer wine? Is this something with shellfish? Would this be great? And, and I give you the logic behind why it works and why the fact that heavy Cabernet with, you know, heavy tannin doesn't work with, you know, the iodine that's found in seafood and things of that nature. I don't go too crazy into it, but just kind of high level broad stroke stuff that gets you set up and pushed in the right direction. And I talk a little bit about blind tasting, how to host your own sort of blind tasting party and have there's, I mean, anybody can do it. Why does it have to be left to sommeliers to be the only people that blind taste? Why not have, you know, four friends over and, everybody brings a bottle of wine and everyone wraps it up when they come in and you get to try three wines blind and you get to pick out what they are. You learn a lot when you're not looking at the label. And that's the trick. Hmm. That's the key because all of a sudden you're going to find out, wow, I really, I can't believe I like Zinfandel. I never thought I'd like, <laughs> never thought I'd take it seriously, but I really enjoy it because you'll find yourself doing the other thing I say in the book. And that's if you can, without being a complete geek or, you know, looking awkward at your dinner party, take a few notes because it is incredibly complex. The amount of wines that are out in the marketplace from $9.99 to $19.99 at a local retailer, there's probably 500 selections, you know, here in Chicago, like Benny's, there'd probably be 500 different choices you could make. Right. That's insane right. to expect to have any sort of, you know, understanding of, how to continue on and on a journey of what you like it be, and, and to make it more than just a crapshoot on what you're picking up off the, off the shelf, you have to take some notes and then you'll start to understand, Hey, I like, I do like Chardonnay. I absolutely love uh, this area in white Burgundy and I can get value areas in these two areas. And once you get into, you know, spending some steps like that, it becomes fun and enjoyable and the other thing I would tell, you know, younger people that are getting into wine, you know, when I was in university, my marketing teachers, it was, and I'm sure it was across the country, the same thing that people were saying, learn how to play golf. There's lots of deals done on the golf course. You know, that's just a, <laughs> a great place to do business. Golf, right. golf, golf. Well, we saw golf go down the toilet. I mean, it's coming back a little bit. We need another Tiger Woods or Tiger Woods to come back, but and I'm sure it's a fine place to do business. But I can tell you as a sommelier from the floor, I've seen more than one dinner table completely turn to the person who knows something about wine. Um, 
young, old, man, woman, doesn't matter. When that wine list comes to a party of 10 and all of a sudden that uh, young executive, she picks up the wine, you know, she says, well, you know, I've been studying wine a little bit. Let me pick our first couple of bottles. Love Boom. It. Total control. <laughs> Total control. Right. And uh, so I tell people all the time, having a little bit of base knowledge about wine is, 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 can be fun and it also can be helpful. That's a fun, that's phenomenal advice. I love that. Okay. You mentioned once, once we kind of get past the label, which is sort of your bottom shelf marketing, you mentioned, oh, I like this from that area. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on when, when, like, what is it about regions that sort of distinguish themselves? Well, that's a great question. And that's really where you start to get in, where you start to go down the rabbit hole. But for sure, you can take regions like one of the best examples is New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, right? So if you find that you like a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, I would say that you have every opportunity to try as many New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs as you can, and you're going to find a through line. You will find a through line in those. It may be that you pick up on the passion fruit, guava kind of components that come in New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, you may like the fact that they're all bottled with screw caps. You may like the fact that um, they're, you know, light and prickly and fresh and high acid. But you're going to find these through lines that are through New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Now, it's a very different Sauvignon Blanc in New Zealand than it is in the Loire Valley, where you find a much more mineral-driven, chalky, drier, sometimes oxidative style, less fresh. And it's a, it's kind of a different, different animal, you know, so you have to just start thinking about Sauvignon Blanc from one place is not, is, is totally different than Sauvignon Blanc grown in another location. And so that's where you start to say, Hey, you know, I've, I know plenty of people that just, you know, gaga goo goo over, uh, over, a uh, Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. They love it. They love the fresh fruity style and that's what they love. And so I would never pour them, uh, you know, a, a Sauvignon Blanc from the, the Loire. It just might not it probably likely wouldn't be uh, satisfying to them. So as you start to understand and you start to look and take some of these notes and you pick up a wine, you're like, Oh, I really do like uh, Pinot Noir from Russian river. And then you'll realize you like maybe cooler climate Pinot Noir, um, or you like more full bodied, uh, warmer climate Pinot Noir, which has more cola characteristics and riper fruit characteristics. I mean, you'll start to understand where these things are coming from. Totally. So real quick, then um, you're talking to someone in sort of the inland northwest. Uh, you mm-hmm. mentioned Walla Walla. What are, what are things that I could find around here that are sort of uh, unique? Well, I'm a I'm a absolute diehard fan of Gramercy Cellars in Walla Walla, and they have a couple of really great value red wines i mean that's a hardcore plug for a winery but it's a tiny winery and so it doesn't matter they you know it's not like it's you're probably not going to find it everywhere if you had to go um you know scope it out i'm sure you'll find it in your neighborhood but it is true i mean there there's washington state and walla walla really reminds me it's its own animal but it really reminds me of the rhone rhone valley in in france i mean there's these you know i just wrote on my instagram uh blog a few posts back about a winery from Walla Walla called Cayuse and it's grown in riverbed literally in riverbeds in round river stone soils it's unbelievable what they you know what they've approached and what they've 
accomplished in 25 years in this with this winery it's just beautiful the wines are amazing but they're also quite expensive gramercy is a winery that you can pick up a bottle you know retail for under 25 bucks and it's just you know a world-class bottle of wine um i think syrah is my favorite grape in your area okay um i I love syrah i would be looking for washington state syrahs right in your area and then obviously if you want to slide down um the west side of the state there of idaho and go down to you know the snake river appalachian and just outside of boise i like some of the rieslings that are coming out of there white fresh slightly off dry cabinet style a lot more dry wines now than, but a nice, bright acidic Riesling with a little bit of sweetness in it on a hot summer day. I'm drinking it all day long, you know, it's delicious. Okay. So now you, like we mentioned in the professional hospitality world, um, most of my listeners are not there. Let's say uh, if you had to give us some tips and you've kind of already described, like what are some ways maybe all of us, uh, cheap ways that we can all be tasting wine and getting familiar with stuff. Um, but even you can even switch it up a little bit from wine if you want. What are, what would you say are three translatable tips from sort of a professional environment to a home environment of hospitality? What would you say are three things you, you know, highly recommended? Wow. That's uh an awesome question too. The first thing I would say, and it's what I tell everyone all the time. It's like the only answer I have. If, if you, if I had to only give you one answer, I would say always have a bottle of bubbles in the refrigerator. Okay. Having a bottle of bubbles and I'm not, and I say bubbles because, you know, it'd be hoity toity to say, always have a bottle of champagne, but you can easily have a bottle of Prosecco. You can find a good Prosecco for 14 bucks. Bubbles are a celebration period. If somebody shows up, if somebody's, you know, that you haven't seen, especially now when we're going to start to see people again, which is super fun. We always have two bottles of bubbles in our refrigerator (laughs) because I just love it so much. It's fresh. It's sets the palate. It's just nice to have and share with friends and have a celebration to see people and to share with people. That's what hospitality is all about. When you invite someone into the house or when you're going some to somebody's house, grab a bottle of bubbles. It's the easiest thing to take. It's better than a bouquet of flowers. It's better, you know, it's probably the same price. A bottle of bubbles, you cannot go wrong. Um, so that's number one. Um, do you have no- do you have any recommends on just, you know, what's an everyday uh, easy on the wallet choice? Yes. I will say that... I'm, you know, a, a big fan of Prosecco, okay. the the Italian sparkly wine Prosecco. Don't don't go to Franciacorta. It's, co- it's going to cost you more money. There's really good Proseccos on the market. You could look for something like J.O. It's very, it's everywhere. I'm sure it's in a local shop of yours, J.O. Prosecco. Um, you know, you can get their Superiore for like 20 bucks or you can get a, a more entry level one for probably 13, 14 bucks. And they're delicious. They're just delicious and fresh. Um, if you wanted to ratchet it up uh, from a Grand Mark Champagne producer perspective, I'm a big fan of Louis Roder Brut Premier. Okay. Louis Roder Brut Premier is the same house that makes Cristal, but this is their entry level uh, bottle of bubbles. And that's going to cost you probably 40 bucks. You know, 39, 40 bucks. So pretty, pretty, you know, it's not inexpensive. 
uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, if you bought a bottle of Cristal or Dom Perignon, something like that, that's going to cost you 240 bucks. So, yep, those are the um, ones I hear in rap songs. So I already know can't afford it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And and to be honest, the Brew Premier from Lee Roder is, is 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 quite good. It's very consistent. It's delicious. I would drink it, you know, anytime I get the chance to drink it for sure. Some of the other ones like Moet White Star and um, Vuf Clicquot Yellow Label, they're very celebratory, but they're also a little sweet um, for me and I think for a lot of people. So, you know, I, I would tend to go more towards the Louis Rotor myself. Um, okay. Okay. Awesome. So number two, we're, we're looking for um, uh, tips to help people become uh, enjoy uh, wine is really what we're trying to do, right? Enjoy wine and just be to really like, what can we do to upgrade our hospitality game? And, uh, okay. and we can use wine to do that as well. Great. Well, one of the most important things that you can do when you go into, and we're going to get a chance to go back into restaurants, I believe restaurants will survive. Um, it's going to be tough because of the, all of the, you know, the, no one saw this happening shutting the economy down for 13 weeks it's going to be tough on restaurants to come back out but one of the things that really changes people's experience is engaging that manager or sommelier or person on the floor and opening yourself up to them into the beverage experience so what even if it's a cocktail sitting at the bar or you know you could be sitting on the patio and if you can open yourself up to letting someone help navigate not it's it's you know we're all used to it on the food side. Everyone's asked, well, what do you like? Or what, you know, what's right. your favorite special on the menu? Or, you know, everybody's engaging about the food or what are you known for? Or, you know, and all those questions come out so easily on the food side. My tip here is to be as open on the beverage side, on the wine side or cocktail side as you are on the food side. And it's going to just absolutely enhance your experience. You'll find that people really, really engage and likely you'll get taste of things. You'll get, you know, you'll just have a different experience. Believe me, if, if you do that. And then lastly, um, buy my book. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> terrible. No, but no, That's really, terrible. No, buy his book. I had to throw that in there. Um, I would say follow people that you like on social media. And I, you know, I write a lot on my social media, Instagram about wine. I don't post often about things other than wine, but not just me. There are plenty of people that do follow the same sort of schedule and, you know, get the information, get the new information. I know there's a couple doctors I know that are writing about their hobby and they're very passionate and good writers and fun to read and just getting bits and bites of information and, and, and trying it out. I think that's, that's the way, um, that's the tip I would give. Um, I think that that's kind of a broad tip because social media to me and and I'm a victim of it as well you find yourself like really wasting a lot of time it's hard to find useful information in social media in my opinion so you have to be you have to do it with a concerted effort um you know I'll give you a good example I you know I really really want a Toyota Tacoma truck so now in my Instagram feed, I have so many, the, the, the algorithms show me so many Toyota Tacoma <laughs> trucks that I can spend 20 minutes and realize that I've just wasted 20 minutes looking at somebody's amazing tent that, you know, pops up on the back of their Toyota Tacoma truck. And so it's, just, it's not useful, you know, so 
my, my advice is to find people that are, you know, put people, I call it the river of information, right? Get people in your river of information that give you really good, consistent information. Um, you know, I think it was, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the writer who talked about, uh, the four hour work week, Oh, but yes. he talked, yep. um, yeah, fantastic. Uh, fantastic read and i'm sorry i don't i read it twice and i can't remember but it was years ago he's but one super of the things famous he, so we shouldn't yeah that. absolutely <laughs> it, one of the things that he uh wrote about was the fact that tim ferris don't work tim ferris yeah sorry. don't worry about reading all the news don't worry about spending an hour every morning reading the newspaper and doing all that stuff just find three people in your day that you really respect and just ask them hey you know what's going on in the world like you know, how do you see it type of thing? Right. And you let other people kind of sift through that information. I would say the same thing on like getting your information on wine and, and hospitality. Uh, find find good uh, reviews. Curating all that great content. Uh, There's a lot of noise. Totally. Well, and especially right now, I think your tip about the news may be just like the supreme tip of uh, the last few months. So yeah. um, anyway, thank you so much. I really appreciate all your insight and all of your recommends. Uh, everyone go buy the book. It's Wine, A Beginner's Guide by Ken Fredrickson. It really is a helpful book, covers all of your bases. And, uh, you know, you could start being a hospitality guru, having everybody over. Yeah, and also I was surprised because when I, when I wrote the book, um, I think about the same length of the book was also cut out of the book, oh, wow. edited out of the book, which was which was interesting, but it's on audible as well. And it's like two hours and 45 minutes on audible. So it's quick. Um, you know, and I think that that's, that was the goal. And we all, we set out to have it, you know, that type of information, the type of information you can pick up, you could knock out a chapter in 20 minutes, really learn something. You could read it again if you needed to, but really a reference guide. So that was really the, the impetus behind setting that up. Thanks so much for having me on. This has been an absolute blast. And I look forward to keeping in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ken. Okay. Bye-bye.